Hey guys, before we get started into today's episode, I wanted to give you guys a quick heads up. I was planning on doing a seminar in Chicago this summer. However, because of everything that has gone on in the world recently with COVID, I have decided to push it back to this October 10th and 11th. So we're staying in Chicago at River North CrossFit. Um, if you have not been to one of my seminars before, here's how they run. It's a two-day course. You can buy tickets to either day one day two or both together. Day one is all about breaking down the way in which you move specific to the squat, learning how, how to move better, learning how to uncover the problems that is limiting your squat technique and how you can fix it. Day two is all about injury management. So we go in depth into knee pain, back pain, shoulder pain, how to screen and uncover the cause for your pain and then how you can manage it. So if you are interested in attending a squat university seminar, this is my only one planned for 2020 Chicago this October 10th and 11th go to my page squareuniversity.com click on the seminar tab at the top and get your tickets today can't wait to see you guys there classes in session you're listening to squat university by Dr. Aaron Horshay let's go now let's start the show caught in the trance and this manic depression settled in living in the fantasy Hey, what's up, podcast sisters? Thank you so much for checking out today's show. This is episode 93 of the Squat University podcast. The goal with each and every one of these shows is to bring you as much value-packed content to help you move better in the gym and in life, decrease your body's aches and pains, and help you reach your true athletic potential. Today's podcast is sponsored by Barefoot Athletics. Here's the deal. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you think every single time you enter the gym about lifting big weight and trying to move with the best technique possible. Well, you know if that's the case, you need the right shoes for your lift. I have been a huge fan recently of the Barefoot Athletics Ursus shoe, and I have been using it for all my squats, deadlift presses, basically anything that is not an Olympic weightlifting movement recently for the past couple months and absolutely love them. The reason they are so different is because they have a super wide toe box. And for those of you out there that like to wear a flat sole shoe, like a Chuck Taylor, you need a wide toe box. It's gonna allow your toes to naturally splay out, and that's gonna allow you to use your foot like it was naturally designed to provide stability for your body. The more stable your feet are, the better your technique, the better your performance will be on top of it. So if you want a new shoe that's gonna help you meet that requirement, head on over to barefootathletics.com, that's B-E-A-R, like the animal, and use the code SQUATU for 10% off anything on their website, and that includes things like the correct toes, which I'll talk about in future podcasts. I've been in love with them as well for just helping improve foot stability and foot shape. So that's barefootathletics.com and the code SQUATU. With that being said, today's episode is part two of my recent series I just started called Fix Your Knee Pain. Now, if you have not yet listened to part one, pause this podcast right now, go back and listen to part one. It is all on why someone might uh, develop pain based on anatomy. So basically, if you were to go to a medical physician, they would likely give you a diagnosis based on anatomy. So they would say you have patellofemoral pain, they would say you have IT band pain, or they'd say you have patellar or quad tendinopathy. So part one was all about what those specific injuries are, how they're created. We're going to move on to part two. And we're going to talk about the mechanism of injury, how knee pain is really created, but through the way in which I look at injuries. Because as a physical therapist, 
we look at pain a little bit differently than a medical physician. A medical uh, practitioner may look at pain. And today you're going to understand what a movement-based diagnosis is and how I go about solving pain. So when someone comes to me with knee pain, this is uh, some of the context of how I perform an evaluation. Now, the prior sources of pain, like I talked about uh, patellofemoral pain, uh, IT band pain, and patellar or quad tendinopathy, are only a few of the common anatomical diagnoses that you would receive from a medical doctor. You could receive a number of other ones. It could be like a bone bruise, um, a meniscus tear, a fat pad irritation, plica, or even bursa irritation. I'm sure many of you who are listening to this have had knee pain, and for those of you who have gone to a medical doctor, you've probably heard some of those. Unfortunately, it can be difficult for even the best clinicians out there to diagnose the exact anatomical structure that is causing knee pain with 100% certainty. Doing so requires expert assessment skills and often expensive scans of your knee joint. But luckily, you don't need to spend hundreds or even thousands of dollars in order to take the first steps to understanding and addressing your pain. When someone asks the question, what causes knee pain? The simplest answer is that pain is a result of cumulative microtrauma on the structures of your knee as a result of two things. <clears throat> we either have specific movements that create pain or we have excessive training loads. Now think about it like this. Every part of your body from the small bones and joints to the large muscles that span across the joints have a certain set amount of force or load that it can tolerate before it fails and breaks. Now athletes who are able to push themselves to the brink of this tipping point without going overboard often find massive success in improving their strength and performance. However, if that threshold is exceeded, injury occurs and pain sets in. Sometimes the mechanism that creates this injury is very blatant. Take, for instance, a powerlifter who's going for a very heavy PR in competition. They get all the way down, and then on the ascent, the knee collapses in into extreme valgus, and he just tears every ligament in his knee. Now, obviously, that is very rare. On the uh, more common side, trauma that we have applied to our knee is slowly put onto our knee over months in years through these very tiny micro movements that you can't see with your naked eye. For example, I have seen many athletes who have developed knee pain due to a side-to-side -side imbalance in hip rotation. To even the seasoned coach, their lifting technique looks pretty sufficient. If you ask their coach, hey, what's their technique look like? Because they come to you and they're complaining of knee pain. Their coach says, you know, I mean, their technique looks pretty good. However, what they couldn't see with their eye was that they had limited hip internal rotation on one leg, even a small amount, like 10 degree difference. And what that does is creates small amounts of microtrauma at the knee joint that eventually culminates in pain. Now, while there may be one specific point in which pain strikes, non-traumatic knee pain is usually the result of something that has been building for some time. Remember, it takes months and months or years. The signs of injury are often present before symptoms appear. That's key right there. Because the thing is that even though you may not be dealing with knee pain right now, there may be signs that you are moving poorly. Remember, one of the uh, specific causes of knee pain, certain movements, 
right? There may be certain ways in which you're moving that could be signs of future knee pain. For example, numerous research studies have found a connection between knee problems like patellofemoral pain, IT band syndrome, or even the development of osteoarthritis or OA to movement problems such as excessive hip adduction, which is basically when your thigh moves to the midline of their body and internal rotation, which what are those two combined? That's knee cave, that's knee collapse. So if you listen to part one of the podcast last week, you found that there was this commonality, especially with IT band and patellofemoral pain. Obviously, those are two different anatomical diagnoses, but research is showing that there's actually links to both problems, and that's the way in which we're moving, the way in which we're controlling our knee. Now, this means that while you may have experienced pain for some time after a heavy squat workout last week, the cause of your injury may have actually been building up into that point for a long time. Therefore, the quality of your technique in the manner at which you load your body during your workouts will always be the most important factor in whether or not you get stronger and find that success or whether or not you fail to progress because of an injury. Remember, we lift, 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 break, feel better, lift, 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 break. That's one of the common themes I see in so many athletes today is because we don't try to be proactive and fix movements in the way in which we're lifting weight before it's too late. We often cover up pain, think it's not a big deal, think it's common to have knee pain because we're weightlifters or powerlifters. It's not common. It is the result of something that we're doing uh, incorrectly. And if we can get ahead of it and find the fault and fix the fault, not only are you going to get out of pain, but you're going to set yourself up for long-term success. And that's what it's all about being a weightlifter or powerlifter. Remember, for those of you who have listened to this podcast, I competed in Olympic weightlifting for over a decade. Every single day I go to the gym, still now to this day, because I want to lift more weight. I want to push my body, see what I'm capable of. Just because I'm not on the platform anymore doesn't mean I still don't have that internal desire like each and every one of you guys listening to this podcast to lift big weight and move big weight. But I also know in the back of my head that if I'm not listening to my body, and especially when it comes to knee pain, I'm not going to be able to continue to do that for so long because as a physical therapist, I see the flip side of things. Not only do I see the push and the grind from the athletic side of things, but I also see what happens on the, on the other end. And I see that, that 60-year-old, I see that 70-year-old who has done a disservice to their body and they get to 60 and 70 and they go, well, I used to be strong. Well, I used to lift weights, but you know, life takes a toll on you and now I, I, I can't do that anymore. That's bullshit. You should be able to lift big weights for the rest of your life. And if you do it correctly, you're going to be able to. Now, if you have been told that you have one of the prior injuries I talked about, patellofemoral pain, IT band pain, quad patellar tendon pain, don't hang your head. There is definitely hope. What I want to do is start your fixing of this injury by diving into how you at home can actually screen your knee pain by looking at the way in which you move. So this next section of today's podcast is all about screening. It's all about the evaluation process. I'm going to give you my secrets right now into what I do when an athlete comes to me with knee pain, okay? And this is 100% free on this podcast. The idea that flawed movement or technique leads to the development of pain is actually called the kinesiopathologic model or KPM. Now, while this model has a really fancy name that most of you will never have to remember ever in your life, 
The theory behind it is key to fixing your pain. You start by finding out what movement problems led to the injury developing in the first place. For hundreds of years, the traditional medical field has attempted to address pain by diagnosing the specific tissue or part of the body that has been injured, such as, like we said, patellofemoral pain. That's in one example. Rather than take a medical approach to analyzing the body, we're going to go through a movement-based screening process to uncover why your pain started in the first place. You're not going to need an MRI. You don't need to go get an x-ray or any other expensive scans. Instead, we're going to take a step back and view how the body moves from head to toe. This way, we treat you as a person. I don't treat you as a knee injury. I'm going to take an entire step back. Now, what I want to do to ingrain this knowledge into your head of what we're actually going to go through, I'm going to give you a story. And I want to see if some of you guys can relate to the story. And the story is going to set the ground stage, the foundation for how this um, movement-based diagnosis system actually works. This is what I do as a physical therapist, basically. So here's the story. Selena is an 18-year-old avid weightlifter. She's competed for eight years now and is on the cusp of qualifying for her first international team. In the weeks leading up to an important national competition, she began to feel pain in her right knee, more like a dull ache to the inside of the kneecap. At first, it was only when she was lifting heavy, but now it has progressed to almost every single lift. And despite endless foam rolling, the pain never seems to go away. So she decided to finally go see her family doctor. Now, after listening to Selena's story, the doctor gave her a diagnosis of patellofemoral pain syndrome. And what did they do? They gave her a prescription for anti-inflammatories, told her to cut back on lifting for a few weeks. Does this sound familiar to you guys? Because I know it does to me. This was my story as well. I've had knee pain. I've gone to a doctor. They said, all right, I want you to take 800 milligrams of ibuprofen twice a day. I want you to lay off lifting and ice it. Now, while rest and medication and ice can often decrease symptoms, it does nothing to address why the pain started in the first place. This is the reason many who find themselves in the same situation have pain return when they finally get back to lifting. Now, when Selena came to me for an examination, we started the screening process by performing some basic movements. I looked at her body weight squat. Everything looked pretty good. She started with a sufficient hip hinge, controlled her body to full depth, and back to the standing position with optimal technique. However, when I asked her to perform a simple single leg squat, things started to break down. While she had good control of her left knee, her right knee collapsed inwards, wobbled around, and pain was recreated. However, with some proper cueing, she was able to control her knee just a little bit better, and she had less pain. I said, hey, you know what? This squat, I can see it's wobbling a little bit on your right side. It hurts. Let's start off with a little bit more of a hip hinge. Let's push your butt back, slow it down, control the knee. What does that feel like? And Selena said, oh, that doesn't hurt as much. I see this all the time. Now, further screening revealed she had great mobility of her lower body, ankle, and hip, but she had limited strength in her lateral right hip muscles, the leg that uh, caved and wobbled over, compared to her left. Therefore, her movement problem was due to a stability deficit, so we had weakness, we had coordination problems of the muscles that should be turning on at the right time and at the right intensity. They weren't doing their job. Now, here's the key. Screening and classifying injury based on movement problems that cause pain 
such as an issue in knee control. We would call that a biomechanical dysfunction. Simply, they're not moving very well and in line. This is more useful to driving the treatment process than trying to fix the pathoanatomical diagnosis. If we only concentrated on the fact that Selena had an injury to her patellofemoral joint, then we would end up missing the big picture. Knowing someone has a patellofemoral joint injury doesn't tell me why he or she has the pain or what needs to be corrected. Therefore, instead of labeling Selena as a person with patellofemoral joint injury or patellofemoral pain syndrome, I would classify her injury as right knee pain due to a biomechanical dysfunction with a stability deficit. You see, by switching the focus to a movement diagnosis, we can then address her deficits and we can correct the cause of the problem technique, the problem movement. So during the screening process that we're going to go over in the next part of today's podcast, I want you to think about which of the following categories your knee pain fits the most. Okay, now while there are other movement diagnoses that physical therapists will often categorize with injuries, I find that the most common are going to be, especially with my strength athletes out there, my powerlifters, weightlifters, crossfitters, I'm going to see biomechanical dysfunction. And again, it means you move like crap. <laughs> and that is with a mobility deficit and or a stability deficit, or we have a load intolerance. And we'll talk about what that means in a little bit. Now, what I want you to do is while you're listening to this, I want you to gather clues from each of the screens as you hear them. Obviously, I want you to go over them later. And I want you to figure out what type of movement or load triggers your knee pain. The understanding and knowledge you're going to receive from this self-assessment is then going to empower you to take control of your injury and become your own best advocate for alleviating your pain. You should have the power to take control of your knee pain. You shouldn't have to go to a medical doctor who's going to give you the bad advice. Yes, there's some really good doctors out there. But still, when you go to a medical physician for a common ache and pain that you have during training, you make it a medical problem. Most of the problems that we have in the weight room are not medical problems. They are movement problems. Medical problems get medical answers. And medical answers are treatment often that solves the symptoms and not the cause. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to go over movement, we're going to go over mobility, and we're going to go over load screening. So let's talk about movement screening. What I want you to do when you are done listening to this is you're going to grab a friend or you're just going to video yourself performing the following test so you can analyze how you're moving. We're going to start by performing just a basic squat. You want to take your socks and shoes off so you can expose problems that you may have at the foot or ankle. Now in your normal squat stance, perform a slow squat to full depth, and you're gonna hold that bottom position for a few seconds. Then slowly return to the start position and perform five more repetitions. What'd you notice? Did you have any pain during the movement? If so, take note of where the pain was located and how intense the pain was on a scale of zero to 10. Zero is no pain, uh, no pain. 10 is the worst pain you could ever imagine. Both of these factors are gonna come in handy later in the screening process. Now, as you analyze your movement on video or having your friend, notice the position of your feet. Is one foot more angled out than the other? If you try to keep your feet firmly planted, does one foot spin out to the side as you descend into a squat? If so, again, make a mental note of this as it may be due to a potential mobility imbalance between the right and left hip 
and or ankle, something we'll talk about when we get to the mobility screen of this podcast. Now, make sure you also observe the position of your hips. Did your hips shift to one side or the other? If you video your squat from behind, does your pelvis seem uneven in the bottom position? Is one side higher than the other? Now, if you easily pass the bodyweight squat, let's make things a little bit harder. I want you to stand on one leg and perform a single leg squat. As deep as possible, without falling over, you do not get to use anything for balance. So again, this is a pistol squat. At times, I've told people, hey, do a single leg squat, and they try to do a Bulgarian split squat. That's still a double leg squat. Try to do a pistol squat. The reason for this is because I want to expose some things. Now, when you tried the single leg squat, what happened? If it is difficult to balance and squat on one leg without the arch of your foot collapsing over, which is called pronation, or your knee wavering around like crazy, you just uncovered a problem in stability that you may not have noticed in your double leg squat. Now, in my experience, many, many strong athletes can hide their problems with stability when they're asked to perform a bodyweight squat. This is why many athletes will go into physical therapists and they'll be like, oh, just do a double leg squat during your evaluation. Uh, things look pretty good. And they don't really expose. They don't illuminate the problem. Every single athlete should be able to do a double and single leg squat. Now, do I believe that every athlete is capable currently of performing a full pistol squat astrograss? No, that's really difficult. But what we're looking for is that every athlete should have the ability to at least perform a single leg squat to a parallel position. And if you can't, you've got some things to work on. Now, some of these athletes that I said uh, with the, the problem in the single leg squat will fail a single leg squat on one side, but they'll pass it on the other side. What we're looking for is imbalance between the two. Okay, so you got to look at your right and your left side. And in doing so, you're going to uncover a laundry list of mobility and stability issues using the single leg screen. Now, understanding the importance of stability when it comes to keeping your knees healthy all starts with focusing your attention on the foot. You see, your foot is like your body's house of cards. Good foot stability sets the foundation for the rest of your body to move. When the foot collapses over into excessive pronation, it leads to rotation in the tibia, that then forces the patella to move off axis, your kneecap. The hip also plays an important role in providing stability for the knee joint. So look at when you did your single leg squat, what happened to your thigh? Did it shift inwards? And this is the motion called adduction. Or did it rotate towards the other one, internal rotation? Both of these problems are often due to poor hip coordination. Now if the muscles that lie on your side in back of your hip, your glute medius and glute max, if they're not turning on well and at the right time, if they're not maintaining sufficient activation during a motion like the squat, your knee will collapse in toward the midline of your body. This is one of the big issues with that poor activation. In this motion, what it does is it increases contact pressures on the backside of your patella against your femur, your big thigh bone. And it increases compression also of the IT band against your lateral knee. Again, Poor movement relating to pathoanatomical, specific diagnoses your doctor would give you. We're just talking about why they're there. Now think about opening and closing a door. The movement of the metal hinge that connects to the door and its frame operates similar to your knee joint. When you pull on the handle of the door, the hinge opens and the door opens smoothly. However, what would happen if you pulled the handle toward you while simultaneously pulling upwards as well? The door obviously wouldn't open nearly as smooth. 
This is because the metal hinge joint is being pulled off axis. The same uneven forces are placed on the knee joint when it moves out of ideal alignment during the squat. Now if you notice knee pain during the single leg stance squat, I want to see if we can modify it by changing just the way you move. Using a mirror can be a great way to just get some good feedback on what your foot, your knee, or your hip is doing during the squat. Now start by first creating a stable foot, jam your big toe down to the ground. I want you to attempt to grab the ground with your foot to create sufficient stability. Next, I want you to initiate a small single leg squat by pushing your hips back and bringing your chest forward in this hinging action. Your knee will bend slightly during this hinge, but your shin and your knee is not gonna shift forward. Now, if you did this correctly, your foot should not move whatsoever, and you should feel like your body weight is centered directly over the middle of your foot. As you continue to squat, try to keep your knee from wobbling around. Your kneecap should point directly towards like your second to fourth toe. What did you notice? If retesting your single leg squat with cues to create a proper hip hinge and maintain better control of your knee decreased your symptoms, you're likely dealing with a biomechanical dysfunction due to a stability deficit. By prioritizing a movement diagnosis over a pathoanatomical diagnosis, your treatment will be more focused and more efficient. Basically, recovery time should be shorter since you are less obsessed about the painful site and more driven to fix the mobility and or stability deficit, which are two things that athletes will actually have control over. Now, we just talked about movement. Let's talk about mobility screening. While it can be really easy sometimes to see a biomechanical dysfunction due to stability with movements like, especially the single leg squat, a mobility deficit can often be a little bit less noticeable. I have worked with many patients who failed to make significant progress in fixing their knee pain because they only addressed movement, stability, or strength issues. They never were screened for underlying mobility deficits. Now, it doesn't matter how much strength and stability work you perform to improve knee control, pain will often persist until a mobility problem is also addressed. Now the two most common mobility problems that can lead to a biomechanical dysfunction are found at the joints directly above and below the knee, the hip and the ankle. Now to assess hip mobility, I like to use the supine hip rotation screen. Our goal in performing the screen is to uncover any possible side-to-side -side differences between hip internal and external rotation. Lacking hip rotation in either direction will lead to the patella, your kneecap, sitting and moving awkwardly against the femur. Over time, this abnormal tracking, much like a train being pulled off the train tracks, can lead to developing pain on the front side of your knee. Here's a very simple way to screen for hip rotation. You're going to lay on your back and you're going to have a friend raise your thigh to 60 degrees. So don't bring it all the way up to 90, but bring about to 60. And then you're going to pull your foot out away from your body and then in across the midline of your body. And you're going to do it on both sides. And what you're looking for is, is there a difference left and right? So if you have right knee pain, look at your left side. Look what normal sort of looks like as far as the amount of motion. And then do the same thing for the other side and see if there's a difference. Now, while asymmetries, side-to-side -side differences, are normal in most people, if you found a significant difference, larger than 10 degrees, for example, of hip rotation between your painful and your non-painful side, we can say that that is likely something that needs to be addressed. So there will be different exercises we'll talk about later as far as how to clean those up. So this is just the screening part. So obviously that's hip. We also wanna look at the ankle. 
Now testing ankle mobility should be a part of every straining process, especially for knee injury. If the gastroc or soleus muscles on the backside of your calf are stiff or short, there is less range of motion to absorb a load when you're doing things like landing from a jump, catching clean, things like that. Research has shown that between 37 and 50% of the total forces absorbed by your body when landing from a jump actually occur at the ankle joint. Ankle sniffness therefore reduces the capacity of the body to absorb energy in a good manner, which means that higher loads are going to be transferred up the body to the knee. So you're going to have structures like patellar tendons placed under excessive and greater loads because the knee is going to take more load more quickly when landing from a jump or when landing and receiving a cleaner snatch if you have limited ankle mobility. So limited ankle mobility basically sets yourself up for excessive loads at the knee joint. Limited ankle mobility can also set yourself up for a problem in maintaining stability at the knee joint. So that was load. This is now stability. Um, one of the best metaphors I've ever heard for describing how restrictions at the ankle can change our movement patterns comes from the book Anatomy for Runners. So if you guys are into reading a number of books specifically on uh, fixing movement problems for running, Anatomy for Runners is a great one. But here's the metaphor that I heard in that book, and I just love it. An ankle with full mobility will allow your tibia, your shin, to move freely on your foot. Think of this as a car being able to drive straight through an intersection. Now, restriction in ankle mobility is like a European-style roundabout being constructed right in the middle of the road. When the car enters the intersection, it must now go around the island in order to proceed on its previous route. Essentially, our lower leg spins off its normal route and falls inward whenever you have a restriction. And as our lower leg goes around the restriction, the knee is pulled inwards. Movement breaks down, basically. So limited ankle mobility is therefore a very common factor in why someone would develop a biomechanical dysfunction. As you squat down, you don't have enough ankle mobility, leads to knee collapse. It's a very simple way of explaining it. Now, the five-inch wall test is a very simple screen you can perform on your own. Many of you who have listened and uh, been with me on Squat University for a long time, you've seen this screen many, many times. Very simple. Kneel down by a wall, place your toes five inches from the wall. Uh, for those of you out there that go by the metric system, it's about 12 and a half centimeters. Drive your knee straight forward over your toes, attempting to touch the wall without letting your heel pop off the ground. Now, make sure your foot is going directly forward over your toes. Don't swivel your hips to the side and cheat. What'd you find? Were you able to touch the wall with your knee or did your heel pull off the ground? Now, if you failed the five inch test, you just uncovered a weak link in ankle mobility that needs to be addressed. Make sure you check out um, ankle mobility exercises that I will share on YouTube um, under, I think it's top three ankle mobility exercises, the name, um, and working on that every single day will be huge for you. So that is ankle mobility screening. The last part of our evaluation comes down to load screening. Now, if you had pain with any of the squats that we did earlier, it's important that you find out whether or not you're dealing with a biomechanical dysfunction or tendinopathy, which would then be a load dysfunction. So ask yourself this question, do I have pain when resting or only when moving? Tendinopathies, remember this is quadrupatellar tendinopathy, will rarely hurt when at complete rest. This is because the load on the tendon is removed when sitting or lying down. If you have pain only when moving, let's perform some more testing to confirm our idea that you may be dealing with tendinopathy. 
Perform 10 double leg tuck jumps in a row as high off the ground as you can without any rest in between each jump. Did your pain intensity go up from the rating you gave your symptoms when performing the bodyweight squat at the start of the screen? If so, now perform 10 single leg tuck jumps in a row. Did your knee pain again increase from the double leg tuck jumps? If so, we can say your pain is load intolerant. The bodyweight squat put very little load through your pain or through your knee compared to the spring-like forces generated at the tendons during multiple tuck jumps. So let's say you did a single leg or a double leg squat, it was like a one out of 10 pain. Then you did the double leg chop jumps and you're like, ah, it's like a four out of 10 pain. Then you did single leg tuck jumps and you're like, that's like a seven out of 10 pain. That's load intolerance. What that means is that you are placing more and more load on your patellar and quad tendons and it is creating more pain. Now, when you're at this point, it's also very important to see if whether or not your pain remained localized to a part of the knee. Uh, did it remain localized to the very bottommost tip of your kneecap called your inferior pole, or did it start to spread out over different parts of the knee joint? Pain that moves around the knee, sometimes to the inside of the knee, other times it's on the bottom near the patellar tendon, often that's a symptom of a biomechanical dysfunction. That's not as much tendinopathy. Pain that remains pinpoint to one specific area during the tests, all of those tests across all those jumps, is a sign of tendinopathy. A biomechanical dysfunction rarely coexists with a load intolerance problem like a patellar quad tendinopathy. So you have to be very sure that you can answer these questions prior to deciphering what type of injury you're dealing with. That's a big thing. I see a lot of people, they say, oh, I have patellar or quad tendon pain. It's tendinopathy. Well, let's hold our horses real quick. Sometimes we'll feel pain in that area and it's not necessarily tendinopathy. It's more of a biomechanical dysfunction because the actual fixes are gonna be a little bit different. And we're gonna talk about those in next week's podcast. So I wanna thank you guys so much for listening to today's podcast on the evaluation process of knee pain, understanding we're taking a movement-based approach. We're not going off of what your family medical practitioner has diagnosed you with. We're an uncovered cause, and that's an extremely important part of fixing it the right way. So again, I want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, for those of you who have taken a screenshot of these podcasts while you're listening and shared it across social media, on Instagram, particularly on Story, I want to thank you so much. I've tried to reach out to as many of you as possible and just say thank you for spreading the podcast. It really means so much to me. Uh, for those of you who have taken time out of your day to write a review uh, for the podcast on whatever uh, platform that you listen to. I just want to say thank you so much. I'm going to give a couple shout outs like I always do um, for those who have taken this time out of their day. You don't have to. And I know uh, it really means so much to be able to let others know how you like the podcast. It helps the podcast spread. So uh, today's review for the podcast came from Fit Cobb, uh, and he or she writes, best information out there have really enjoyed listening and actively applying the information. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for writing the uh, review, and I really, really appreciate every single one of you guys who listen to the podcast. From the bottom of my heart, I just want to say thank you. So until next week, guys, happy squatting. That's it for today, class, on Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshig. For more exclusive content, log on to squatuniversity.com.